Hello, I'm Elizabeth, an obsessive backyard gardener who might be able to offer you a couple of tips. And I'm Keith, a landscape consultant, and I'm also passionate about gardening. The one thing we both have in common is muddy muddy boots. boots. Haven't we had a fantastic summer? Absolutely brilliant. Good old La Nina. The rainfall has been higher than average. Mm -hmm. I think in January it was higher than average, so that was lovely. So it meant it gave us a bit of a break. I well, think we weren't paying that for that expensive water out of the tap to we keep our, our plants alive. I'm turning taps on and off, mm. and but it's just been lovely in our gardens as a result of that. Are looking so lush right now, but this is not something that we are used to, is it? Certainly isn't, because we do live in a sunburnt country, they say, mm-hmm. and. I think that might bring me to the subject of today's podcast, and that is drought-tolerant gardening. Let's have a chat about that. Absolutely. Where do you want to start, Keith? Well, you've got to start um, thinking about what you want in your garden by in terms of, of, of drought tolerant plants, but yes. you've got to start at the soil. You've got to have to you're gonna to have to improve the soil conditions if you're gonna you're gonna want plants that um, can tolerate less water. I think we always need to start with the soil, whatever we're doing. We do. But yes, especially with this sort of these conditions. Yeah. All right. So, what do we need to do to our soil before we even put any plants in? Well, we need to condition that soil. So we, we're going to go back to soil conditioners, and there are some absolute rippers for the for the soil. Mm. There's, of course, the the more compost you put in the soil, uh, that that acts like a sponge, so it can hold its own its own weight in water when when it actually gets in there. And that's one of the most important things because we need. Our Absolutely. soils and learn to hold the water. Exactly, yeah. Whatever water it can get in there. Yeah, and then you've got other additives such as biochar, which will hold seventy percent of mm. its of its mass in, in in moisture. You've got rock dust. Rock dust will also uh, hold more moisture, up to about 40 percent moisture in the soil. Yep. And then there's another one that that I famously fell in love with many years ago. Famously, yeah, famously fell in love with, <laughs> um, and that was um, an additive called a zeolite. Right. And zeolite is a mineral rock and it has an incredibly high cation exchange. What does that mean, Keith? Well, it, it means it has the ability to store uh, both moisture and um, food within itself that makes it then available when the plant wants it. So it's sort of like a, like a sponge. Mm. So it'll suck up moisture. But uh, zeolite has this tunnelling effect inside. So if you had one little tiny speck of zeolite in your palm of your hand and you could measure that by, you know, half a mil by half a mil, in actual fact that has got a huge surface area because it contains tunnels and boreholes and all Mm. sorts all the way through it. So it's got an enormous surface area and that's what is is where where all this stuff is stored the water the water and and mm. the the other bits to give you an idea about how the zeolite works is that whenever you see a, a, a horrible road accident where a, a truck or whatever else or a car has has, has dropped out oil and, and mm. petrol, mm. one of the first things they throw over that is zeolite. Oh, and the zeolite just absorbs, absorbs all that. The they then put that into a truck and they could take that out to a tip and just tip it straight into landfill and that will not be released 
out of that zeolite. Oh, so it's held in there. Really good. That's so it's amazing. great to have in your soil yeah. because yeah. it's going to pick up all those nutrients that are going to otherwise going to wash through. Okay, zeolite, Z-E-O-L-Y-T-E. And that can be found at? At most of the big garden supply places, so specific garden supplies, so farm supply places. You can buy it by the bag. It's an incredible product. It's a it's a pinky, um, pinky, sandy looking substance, but it's just brilliant for your garden. So if we combine zeolite, biochar, and rock rock dust, dust, and obviously compost compost into our soil, then it should be set up for for any conditions. We've got a fabulous drought tolerant. Soil. Something else we need to do well in that process is make sure we aerate our soil. Perhaps we need a, a broad fork to do that even. And that's a great tool. Yeah. Yes. Get it dug into the soil and get your hips moving. And yes. Good for us, good for the soil. <laughs> exactly. and, and, and mulch is another thing because that will help the soil. That will stop the weeds from coming through and it will retain the moisture. Help exactly. retain the moisture yeah. as well. And there's, and there's, there's lots of different types of mulches um, and I've experimented with quite a few over the years. Mm. Um, to give you an idea, there's a, there's a job that, that we're currently starting, well, we do, we've just started today um, up in Seaford, which is on about 30 to 40 feet of sand. Yes, right near the um, water, yep. You know, so that's a real Mediterranean-type garden that's, that, you know, we were, we're putting Probably in there. In, yep. So what we're doing in there is we're putting lots and lots of organic matter into that into that soil. We're putting biochar, we're putting rock dust, we're putting compost into that soil, and then we're going to cover the whole thing not with uh, um, an organic mulch like pine bark or mm. wood chips or anything else, we're going to cover that with granitic sand okay. to 75 mil thickness. Wow. And that's going to stop any weeds ever getting up through yeah, it because yeah. it's it's quite dense. But it allows good percolation of the water to go through that as as, as well as um, as well as air to still get through down into that soil. But it's going to prof- going to give a, a beautiful dense thick cool uh-huh. mulch over okay. the top. So it's going to be a little bit like walking on beach sand. That's right. what it's going so to look like. so that's going to look, it's going to have that sort of uh, coastal look about it. Exactly. Is that part of the reason you've chosen that rather than a normal, a usual mulch or is it because it, that's even better than a normal mulch? Well, the, in this situation it's going to be better, yeah, yeah because, okay. it's the, the, because of the environment it is. Yeah. So then we're going with this beautiful sandy-looking mulch, we're going to be then putting in a whole range of, of different types of plants yeah. that, you know, some are going to be succulents, some are yeah. going to be indigenous plants. To so the this area. is a specific. This really is a drought tolerant garden that this you are is, building. This is oh, absolutely timely. fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so that was what I was going to come to next: the plant choice, because that's mm-hmm. really important. Or, but actually, before that, the sun position of the sun is very important too. When it comes to choosing the plants, obviously, because that's you know the sun is going to be yeah. harsh. Therefore, you really are looking at a, a specific range of plants. Yeah. And I guess the way that you classify those plants, and and a lot of companies are now doing this is by having on the label a series of drips. So one drip mm. means that they are drought tolerant after they've been established. Yep. Two drips mean that they require seasonal watering. Yeah. And three drips means that they are thirsty plants. Not drought tolerant. Not drought tolerant at all. Don't choose those. So no. one drip, look at one drip. Look, look for one drip plants one drip, in a yep. drought tolerant garden. Also, when you choose it, make it your choice of plants, it's, it's, it's important to really see what, Grows naturally in your specific, specific, I should say, area. Yeah, and that's just a matter of walking around your neighbourhood mm. on a nice little walk and saying, "Oh, that particular like plant that grows well." Yeah, yeah fantastic. Like that one. Yeah. Mm. What sort of plants? Can we just maybe go through a couple of different styles of plants? I mean, there's, there's, uh, um, sorry, succulent plants mm-hmm. are great in, in drought tolerant. Absolutely. Gardens. 
Natives mm-hmm. are great in drought-tolerant yep. gardens. Indigenous natives, yes. yes. What about flowering plants? I mean, we'd have to obviously look at specific flowering plants. No, there's a huge range of those and, and they come into um, a range that, that I use an awful lot of and they're, 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 they're perennial plants and, and, but perennial plants from uh, the Mediterranean sort of environs. That's a, there's a sort of style, isn't it? I mean, there's a leathery sort of mm. leaf, um, hairy leaves. Hairy leaves. Small which, yep. hairy leaves. And grey colour. Grey, that's right. We go back to the grey again. So things like lavender. I mean, lavender is, is we sort of think, well, lavender's really for a cottage garden, but mm-hmm. it's still, it would be very pretty in a coastal garden too. Absolutely. Protea. Proteus, South African plant, yes. yes. Um, the Protasia family can, contains a, a great range of plants that will do beautifully once they've established here. So not only just um, the, the range of Proteas with the beautiful big flowers, but then they have um, other other range range of plants mm. such as Leucodendrons yes. and Leucospermums, yes. which are just absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous to look gorgeous at. Gorgeous things, yes. Tea tree. Is, is is great for um yeah. uh, drought tolerant gardens because that's really hardy, isn't it? Yeah, and and they're doing a lot of work now with a lot of these beautiful um, Australian natives and hybridising them so that they're they're pulling down the 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 size of the plants, for instance. So you can get dwarf tea trees now. Oh my goodness! You know, which uh, look just absolutely superb. Oh, wow. mm. Okay, because uh, again, there if you're choosing plants that you would, would like to attract. Bees, birds, butterflies into the garden. Mm-hmm. There are a large range of those too oh, that work really well in drought tolerant gardens. Westringias, kangaroo paws, uh, lavenders. I mean, there are so many of them. Yeah. Hedging plants is another thing. Mm-hmm. And I know you like to, to build hedges. I do. Are you doing that in your current garden? I've got hedging at my place, yeah. I, and I always will and. Always I, have. I meant the garden that you, the garden that we're talking about in Seaford. You, uh, have you chosen? Yeah, there is. Chosen yeah, there is. There, there is a little bit of hedging in that, and and the reason that I use the hedging is not just to have a whole heap of the one plant, but to give that garden structure. I know, and give it. So I know that you've you've talked to me often about popping a hedge in so that then you've got somewhere to go, so you don't mm. just see the garden immediately. All at once. Exactly, you can actually find little things mm. like going through the garden. What about the lawn? Mm-hmm. That's something that a lot of people like to have a lawn. So how can someone have a drought-tolerant garden with a lawn in it? They are just starting to do a bit of work on Australian native grasses. They're a long way off, but um, the most drought-tolerant lawn you'll ever come across is Kakuyu. Okay. And, um, and Kikuyu is a, it's a South African plant. It requires a, a fair bit of maintenance in terms of containing it as a lawn and not letting it get into a garden bed because the runners of, of Kikuyu oh, will just yes. cause enormous amounts of headaches for people. Yeah. But it's a fabulous grass if you if you know how to maintain it. Now, my backyard has only got Kikuyu mm-hmm. and I've got raised beds in my backyard mm-hmm. with lawn going through the middle of middle of the, the, the beds, around the beds. Around the beds, not And trim, I use yep. a brush cutter to, to, to keep them trimmed back all the time mm-hmm. and then to separate the lawn from my garden beds, I use a brick restraining edge. So I've mm. got a laid brick that's 75 mil thick sitting on a 75 mil base of mortar. So it's it's just like a, a physical barrier that the roots will never, ever get through. Mm, if you don't try to keep your, the, the kaiku you cut down to as low as you possibly can, leave it high and fertilise it with something like Rooster Booster, mm-hmm. it makes the most magnificent dark green lawn. 
Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Because yes, I, that's what I was going to ask you. How do once we've got the kakuyu or whatever choice, mm-hmm. um, depending on where the person lives, whatever choice they, yeah. you know, whatever they've chosen, how do we keep that green? I think it's it is fantastic. It actually stays green anyway, yeah. but there are certain things you need to do to help it a bit. You've got to give it a bit of rooster booster and or something aerate like it. that. And, and aerate it, yeah. And then once a year with kikuyu because kikuyu is what's called a stoloniferous grass, so therefore it creeps across the surface. It's not an upright growing grass. Yeah, right. Uh, it produces what's called thatch and that is where a dead layer um, of leaves fall down from above down below and it gets this spongy sort of effect. So I once a year, and, and that's in late, late winter, just before the onset of spring, mm-hmm. I will crank my mower down to just about the lowest setting you can and I'll pull that round the kaikuyu, cutting out that that the thick thatch. spongy layer. Okay. So I've, I've just got this grass ready to take off when spring hits and the temperatures warm up a bit. So you call that a form of aeration? Um, no, it's, that? it's, it's called dethatching. Dethatching, okay. Yeah. Uh, so the only way to aerate, because I was thinking, oh, that'd be an easy way to aerate, but the only way to aerate is really by using a, a, a fork. A broad fork broad or fork getting or a machining called an aerator, oh. which pulls out hollow tines or hollow cores out of the soil. Or shoes with little, little spikes, spikes on, them. on them. Yeah, they're not, they're not much fun. <laughs> they take a while. <laughs> Broad forks are a lot of work too, but it's still, it's, it's fun. It's a great thing to do. There are, are alternatives to actually, to using grass as well. If someone yes. wanted to do that, things like there's a succulent called blue chalk sticks. Now yes. people have tried yeah. that. Yeah, but you can't necessarily use that as a lawn area because you won't you walk, can't really on walk on it. You can't really walk on it. That's true. But there's a beautiful little Australian native that you can use in that instance, mm. and that's a little native called Dichondra repens, okay, which is a little kidney shape. Little kidney shape. It's called kidney weed. So okay. it's a little kidney shape um, plant. Uh, and I've got some of that in my, my, my backyard in okay. a shady situation. Yeah, um, and that is is a very very passive lawn situation. Mm. You can walk on it. Mm. You don't need to mow it or anything else, but that is, is a substitute for, you know, for a lawn situation. Mm. Another one is uh, thyme, which would be thyme? nice. We've talked about herbs before. Yeah. And uh, thyme would be gorgeous because you can walk on that and it create a bit of a, a fragrance. A fragrance as you're walking across it. Yes, and you can have that between place, place between um, pavers, mm. which would be lovely too. Looks so good. that's another alternative as well. Yeah. What about wetting agents? Most wetting agents that you, you you have today can be a little bit nasty on the um, the life that is in the soil. So be very careful using a wetting agent. Okay. Um, one of the best things you can use for a wetting agent, in actual fact, is a good quality, and I mean good quality, dishwashing detergent. That's all you need. Really? Yeah, absolutely. All these products have got uh, um, a type of, you know, substance like like a dishwashing liquid infused into them. So that's really? what you're putting, yeah. So so when you when you have a, a, a hard compacted soil or when you have a soil that is, you've had a lot of natives there, when you put the hose on, the water just runs off it. That soil is classified as hydrophobic. Mm. But the reason the water runs off is that the plants that, that were originally there re- released oils. Mm. that coated the soil and it's that oil that stops that water penetrating. So when you put a dishwashing liquid on top of that. Giving it a bit of a scrub. It's cleaning off that oil (laughs) and that allows the the moisture to get through. Okay. Um, It used to be um, an absolutely sensational product, a wetting agent years ago, no longer available, unfortunately, and and that was using basically two different types of, of rock 
one called zeolite, which we've already discussed. Yes, we have, yes. And another called spongolite, which is the um, fossilised form of sponges. Okay, yes. And that was a br- and they used to infuse that with a wetting agent and that oh. was absolutely brilliant. Uh-huh. Um, saturate is, yes. is, is probably one that I would use, mm-hmm. but just understand that saturate is half the product it used to be because it's now driven by profit, mm. not product. So you, you, you're using twice twice what you need for, for saturated, but that was also a very good product. Okay. Water collection and irrigation solutions mm-hmm. because obviously that is important in drought-tolerant garden. What is the best system that you would suggest to people to put in? For a drought-tolerant garden, I would, I would probably suggest that if you've done your homework right, you really don't need to think about an irrigation system, mm-hmm. but I will cover that in a second. If you go for, 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 for single-drip plants yes. um, and there's a range of them and I can yes. just, I'll just read off a few. So Achilles, Echiums, Salvias, Euphorbias, Catmints, Sedums, Bulbs, are a huge, um, great drought tolerant plant because they're getting all their moisture during the winter. Yeah, and uh, and, and, they're and they, then they're doing up. it. Then they're doing yep, their thing yep, in the summer. That, yep, uh, lavender, um, grasses, all those sorts there of are things so are just absolutely grasses. brilliant. Yep. And once once you've established those plants, and I mean, we're talking about when you put them in, you water them, and if you Regular. you've got a summer water them on a regular basis because yeah. those plants have come out of a nursery. Mm. They've been where they've been watered every single day, maybe two or three or four times a day. Mm. So mm. they've now got to be looked after Adapt. while they establish yeah. themselves. Yeah. But once a single drip plants establish itself, they will t- take off and look after themselves by themselves. So next year you shouldn't need to have to worry about watering if you've yes. done the right selection. Yes, yes, yes. But if you're going to be putting in in um Plants that you you you're happy to have an irrigation system, then I always suggest that you use a, a drip line system. Yes, one that's got um, the drip dripper inside the plant, uh, inside the pipe itself. Yes, uh, every three hundred mil, and if you do those at, at roughly sixty centimeter uh, spacings and long runs. That's a, a beautiful wetted area. And that is dug into the soil. Into the ground so or just underneath the mulch. You don't no, you see don't. it and it's actually getting to the roots so it's not getting to the leaves, not burning the leaves if, if the sun is out. If the sun comes out, So it's, yeah. it's getting to the important part of the plant which exactly. leads it. Yeah, yeah. That makes complete sense. There's all those other options of when we had water restrictions not that long ago we were, and I still do, having a bucket in the shower. Nothing wrong with a bucket in the yes, shower. That's for my pop plants <laughs> every day. Getting a bit personal here, but that's what I do. Um, but that there's that there's, you know there are ways of collecting grey water. There is yeah. the 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 method of making sure you water early in the morning if you're watering us. This is really talking about your pots yeah. more than anything, I suppose. Just make sure you do it early in the morning because we don't want to do it in the heat of the day and at night. It's not a great idea no. to water either. It's- and if you do have an irrigation system and you can set it up to an automatic system, then you water at two or three o'clock in the morning. Mm. Um, and then by the, the the time that the system's done all it needs to do in the watering, mm. that water is soaked down through the soil profile to be where it's needed at the roots yeah. before During the, the heat of the day comes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's very sensible. One last thing, actually, there is a last thing, shade. Yes. Install your shade where possible to protect plants, like planting tall trees, which will protect, if you can, yeah. unless they already exist, um, protect whatever is underneath um, there's shade cloth, there's canopies, awnings, mm. all sorts of ways to, to help your plants. Yeah, um, but you're not going to get much shade out of, a, of, out of a eucalypt because the eucalypt doesn't allow shade beneath it. 
it wants to own its space underneath it. So that's yeah. why eucalyptus leaves all hang downwards so the sunlight just comes straight through. So yeah. if you want to look at trees that are beautiful for shaded situations and drought tolerance, there are a couple of superb oak trees. So there's the holm oak mm-hmm. and there's also the cork oak. Ah. Which you make, you get the cork for your, the old days. We used to have bottle of wine, bottles of wine with corks in it. Yeah, and that they're evergreen, evergreen oaks, and they're from the Mediterranean area. But there's Cape chestnuts, which have magnificent flowers, and they're drought tolerant. Of course, the fig, fig tree beautiful. is a beautiful yes. one. Yes. The mulberry tree is drought tolerate, drought tolerant once it's going. The peppercorn, which you always used to see in the old. Um, Australian gardens, mm-hmm. just absolutely superb. There is a superb tree called the strawberry tree, which is Arbutus unido, um, and there's a there's one that's uh, not far from us here, mm-hmm. which is just absolutely superb. Beautiful dark green leaves, a beautiful furred bark, uh, and a great shade shade uh, tree, just okay, superb. Fantastic. So there's a few. There are a lot of choices. There are lots and lots of choices. And what happens if you're a foodie and you want to have a vegetable garden? Well, then you just make, <laughs> need to make sure that you're you're composting all the time. Perfect. With the proper preparation, there is no reason why you can't have whatever you want in your garden. You you put the work into the soil yeah. and you can grow whatever you want. You have a happy, healthy, thriving, drought-tolerant garden. Thank you, Keith, yet again. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Muddy Boots. For more information on today's podcast, please go to muddyboots.net.au and happy gardening.